0: Alright, so, this morning, um, well let me ask you this, did, did everybody have a good Christmas? Yes! Yes. <laughs> yes. What about New Year's? Uh, anybody make any New Year's resolutions? No. Uh, yeah? Anybody want to uh, talk about it? Say what your New Year's resolution is, maybe? <laughs> Nobody wants to. You know why? But you're not sure if it's going to make it. This is
1: have a baby. Have a baby.
0: <laughs> well, that would that would be a good one, yes. <laughs> Have a baby. Huh? Okay. They're pregnant, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not something weird there. <laughs> uh, what else? Anybody else make any New Year's resolutions? Uh, keep a 3.5 or higher. Keep the what? GPA and 3.5 or higher. GPA. That's a good one. Yikes. <laughs> I she said fiber at first. But... Yes, yeah, she wants to keep her fiber. Keep her fiber high. high. I need that too. EPA. <laughs> 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 Chelsea, you have number one as well. GPA, What? You have number one. Yeah, number one as well. Three point five or higher. One. Okay. What else? Anybody else?
1: Anybody? Find a church
0: home. What's that? Find a church home. There we go. That's a good one. I like that one. All right. Not just because I'm a pastor. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. What was that? I said Dimitri. You still looking. Will you stop? Uh, what else? Anybody else? Anybody else? We just Run a 5K. <laughs> Run a 5K. It <laughs> is a surprise to Tiffany. Is that Josh? The the Josh? I want to drive next to somebody. Jerry's doing it too? Sure. <coughs> Let's go do it now. Well, you don't like me? What else? Anybody else? Anybody else? <coughs> Let me ask this. Um... What do you think the top ten 2014 New Year's resolutions are? (laughs) Okay. That's that is actually number one. Yep. Number one, lose weight. There it is. Save money. Lose weight. Yep. Spend less. Yep. Spend less, save money. Exercise more. Hang on, hang on. Y'all have the money. Here, we'll just do that. (laughs) All right. so yeah, let's see, spend less, save money. That's actually number three. All right. What was that last one? Exercise more? Yeah. Yeah. We got uh, stay fit and healthy. That's number five. How about less social media? <coughs> Let's see. What else? Uh, social media. That would be a good one. I don't see it on here. It should be. It should be at the top, shouldn't it? Yeah. People are addicted to it. Yeah. We say quit smoking. Quit smoking. Yep. Quit smoking is number seven. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Smoking. Mm-hmm. Quit. Start smoking if you're not. Quit. <laughs> <laughs> so you can quit next year. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are bad this morning. All right. Uh, what else? Spend more time with family. Yep. That's number 10. More time with family. Are you, are you, are, are y'all, is it already up there? She's looking at the screen. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> family. That's right. Family. Yeah. Y'all are doing well. Can we get one more? Some of the others are tough your stuff, get organized, get... Yeah, get organized. That's number two. Uh, That's right. So I sell furniture. Yeah. <laughs> get organized. I yeah. Y'all can read that. Nobody cares. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so what did we miss? Yeah, number one is lose weight. Number two is get organized. Three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. Mm. YOLO. Uh, how do you... <laughs> YOLO. Yeah. I don't know how you, like rate that, you know? Learn. How do you look back and go, I guess you just do, right? Number five, stay fit and healthy. Number six, learn something exciting. Yeah? I don't... That needs to be on my list, I guess. Um, I learn something exciting from my kids every day, so I, think I'm, I feel like I'm there. Uh, number seven, quit smoking. Uh, number eight, help others in their dreams. Which is very odd in this list to me. <laughs> Because it's, you know, all the others are about me, and then that one's like, okay. All right, number nine, fall in love. Should that go in a, like, I'm going to fall in love. What's up, girl? How you doing? (laughs) Listen, it's uh, December 31st, 2014, and uh, I got this thing. I'm like, that'd be a great pickup line, wouldn't it? By the way, this is my wife. (laughs) so so everybody knows uh and number 10 spend more time with the family um so y'all are pretty good that's that's pretty good i'm I'm surprised i was i was thinking we'd get maybe four of them y'all impressed me um now here's the thing uh before we jump in i need to uh to share something with you i am wearing two different type of socks Uh, I didn't mean to, but you're going to notice it at some point during the message, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. Okay, there it is. My bad. They were the same color brown in the drawer. It was dark. At least they are the same color. Exactly. I mean, so I'll put them on. I mean, In a I different hold, room, I but that's all, all right. One day we one black, one white. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean I have one. That's all right. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I know at some point somebody somebody's gonna notice and then you're gonna whisper to the person next to you, it's gonna become a thing. Just letting you know that's what it is. All right, now. If I could give us as a church um, a New Year's resolution it would be something that wouldn't change the outside of you, uh, like a lot of like a lot of these things would. Uh, most resolutions are, you know, about appearances or you know something that you want to change behavior, something like that. Uh, it would change uh, something on the inside, and because it would change that thing on the inside, it would start to affect the people around you, um, and so. For me, my resolution to you would not, or for us, not to you, but for us, because I'm very much included in what we want to talk about today, um, is not so much a resolution as much as it is a revolution, mm. as in a revolt of the heart, and, um, you know, it'd be something that that you would look and analyze it within yourself, and you would take and turn a 180 from uh, what you've done in the past, and so those are the things. These are the things that I want to talk about during this series. And today, I want to talk about one of those revolutions, and that would be reconciliation, specifically <coughs> apologizing. Apologizing. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter five. If you don't, there's one in front of you. It'll also be up on the screen. I always encourage you to jump in the Bible. You can look and see what's around. Um, we're we're going to look at 21 through 24. Uh, the, the verses 25 and uh, 26 also deal with this, but we're not going to look at that today. It's kind of more dealing with, uh, with, with uh, more legal terms, but, but it's good that, that you look over it. And let me give you a little background on what's going on here uh, before we read, because sometimes you just jump in and you read, and the background really helps to know. Jesus is at the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you were living with Jesus in this day and you were following him, which at this time there was a ton of people following him. I mean, just literally following him. He would walk away, people would follow. You know, I mean, he never, he rarely got privacy. I won't say never. He rarely got privacy. And so one day he decides to walk up to the top of this hill it's not—it's not a mountain, because—but for them it was because it was a very large hill, and uh, he just starts preaching. Now, today I don't—we. This would kind of be weird, you know. Like, what if I was walking around the quarter and like all of y'all were just following me? First of all, I'd be a little self-conscious. It would feel weird, you know. It's like, all right, this is more of a cult than a church, right? And then I turned around and we're in the quarter or something like that. And I just started preaching, right? Now, you wouldn't do that because you know me pretty well. They did it because they knew Jesus pretty well. Not only did they know Jesus, they knew who he was, they knew his character, and they could not get enough of him. Every word that came out of his mouth was like water to their soul to their thirsty soul. And so they are just, I mean, dying to know more. This is why they're following. Now, here's the thing. He knows that in his audience, in his following, there's some people who don't necessarily have the right motives. And these guys are Pharisees. And then everybody else is just a regular Joe. And when I say regular Joe, there are people like me and you. There are people who struggle with sin. There are people who struggle in their marriage. They're people who who see life and sometimes can't find hope. They're regular people. So everyone is following Jesus, but at the same time, these Pharisees are in the crowd. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the guys who set the bar for righteousness in this culture. Okay? And they did it purposefully. They did it selfishly. they would would go out on a street corner and preach and have all the garb on, right? And look at me, this represents my righteousness and all that kind of stuff. And so Jesus is about to challenge every single person there, and he's actually going to challenge us today as well. So uh, verse 21, let's jump in. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Now remember again, this is Jesus. He's on top of a mountain That way his voice projects a little bit better. Everybody's hearing him. You've heard it said, that it was said a long time, to people a long time ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, Jesus is quoting one of the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment here, right? Exodus 20, 13, it says, you shall not murder, right? Don't do it. Exactly what he said. Now, let me chase a rabbit here for just a second, okay? Okay. Murder is different from killing in the eyes of God, and, and it's and it's important that we understand that, because in culture, you will hear a lot about how people are saying, um, you know, well, we sent people into Iraq or Afghanistan or this or that, and in the Bible, you see all kinds of battles and war. That's killing. That's different. God would have people killed all the time in the Bible for sin or disobedience. That's... His rights. God has given us our birth date and our death date. Alright? Those are His. And He uses those and takes those as He pleases. He created us. And He can remove us from the earth. So, all of that is up to Him. And we think that's horrible. Right? Oh, it's, that's horrible. But the thing is, you're not in control of those things. God's in control of those things. Now, murder is when we take someone's life. And most of the time, it is out of anger or greed or power, right? Um, And so, in Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14, let me turn over to it real quick. Exodus 21, 12 through 14, it says, Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However... If he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, let take him away from my altar and put him to death. Now, I've been walking through numbers uh, in my quiet time. And uh, I, I, cha- I, I challenge you to take a book and walk through it uh, every day. You know, not a whole book, but just chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph. And uh, I came upon... Uh, Exodus thirty, uh, Numbers thirty-five, the other day, and it talks about how God set up six cities of refuge, and so if somebody was murdered or killed, that person that, that committed the crime could go to one of these cities, and no one could take vengeance upon him or her, and so they were free until they had their trial. Okay, they weren't just scot free. Like you go walk through the city gates, and you're like, wow, party! Right? Every criminal in the world would be there. There's still a trial, but no one could take vengeance on them until they had their trial. And the thing is, God's not just saying, hey, you know, oh, you accidentally killed somebody? You're gone. You're out. No, there's there's a fair trial. And so I want to chase that rabbit just to make sure we all understood that. Verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, rock up is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That's the courts. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, Jesus is trying to show people that they need to go further than the law. They need to go further than the Pharisees. The Pharisees set this level of righteousness that was way high. And people struggled to reach it. And then Jesus comes along and says, you need to go further. That's going to be... Frustrating, you know, you're just like, oh. But here's the thing they were following a legal code. They're following the Pharisees who are legalistic. And Jesus wants them to go beyond the letter of the text, which is where everyone stopped. Everyone would say, you know, hey, I didn't murder the guy, I just jumped all over him. I just gave him the what for? If anybody says that anymore. <laughs> Right, that's what they said back then. And Jesus wants us to deal with people, not just do what's right according to the law. Jesus wants us to make things right with people. Now, raka is an Aramaic term of contempt. It's it's kind of like saying idiot, but you're calling somebody an idiot, but not like that, not like joking around, like you idiot. This is like venom coming out. You idiot. Right? I mean, you, you just feel the contempt there. And um, it's an effort to, when you, when you do this, it's an effort to psychologically abuse that person. Your friend, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your, your spouse, through disrespectful statements and actions. We get the word rascal. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so we've, got, we've got a serious issue when we do this. And we don't even realize it a lot of the times. And it's not necessarily so much the word as it is the heart. It's it's what's coming out. And Jesus says that this is punishable by the courts. But to call someone a fool, it brings hell. Now, what's the difference? There's not any. It's, It's the same heart. It's what's coming out here. I mean, it's a different word. But it's still contempt. They're both contemptuous. Now, you know what contempt looks like in our relationships? It can be verbal or nonverbal. Verbal examples of contempt include sarcasm, hostility, hostile humor, mockery. Nonverbal uh, displays of contempt include rolling uh, your eyes. My, uh, we were up in Arkansas, and my, my baby cousin, he's like, what is he, two? Is he two yet? He just learned how to roll his eyes, and he, and he, and he, and he does this. And he looks like, it looks like the exorcist or something, just something nasty and crazy. I got a video of it. I should have put it up there. I mean, but, you know, Jordan, my sister, goes, I don't know where he learns it. And I said, I know where he learned it. You did it to me all the time, right? And, and, I mean, now nowadays, you know, we're fine. Everybody gets along, but it's that habit. We get into it. I do it. You do it. But that's contempt. Sucking your teeth. You know how you do that when in a conflict? Like, no. Right? No. Not actually. No, I'm not, I'm not down there. Nobody else does that, just me? Okay. All right. That's fine. So here's the thing. Contempt sends a message of scorn. It sends a message that the person you are talking to is inferior and worthless. In research on married couples, contempt towards one's spouse has been found to be one of the main symptoms, not cause, but symptoms that lead to the to divorce. One of the causes is coming right from the heart. Now, what do you look for in a contemptuous face? corner of the mouth tightens to one side, you know? You know? There's a snarl. The, the head will move away from the source of contempt. Right. When you when you're hearing contemptuous vocalization, it's quick sounds of exasperation. Hmm. Right. Similar to spitting. Right. You get a. Right. When you're talking. right hmm. And we all know somebody who does this, and we all do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. And this is where it strikes me so deep in heart. We need to understand how serious God takes our anger and our contempt. Some of us will fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. If you're married, your spouse knows who you are. Right? But here's the thing too. This is sometimes, when we know we are wrong, our immediate pushback. It's what we go to. Right? Isn't it? I mean, it's just like, ah, defense mechanism. Well, right? You just do that. And look at what God says here. If you are angry, you are subject to judgment. And it's not just a slap on the wrist. It's the judgment of hell. You know why? It's because anger, all anger is, is trying to control and to be in control, instead of letting God be in control. That's all anger is. (laughs) Worship and service of God cannot be performed as long as anger infects the soul. You cannot have anger and worship God at the same time. It is impossible. The soul is not built that way. You are held responsible. I am held responsible and accountable for my angry thoughts and not just external acts of violence against others. Now, as you review your your what, we just all spent time with family probably, you know. As you review your time with your family, you're looking back and going, Oh, I'm in danger of the fire of hell. Now here's the thing. As Christians, we are uh, saved. We have been forgiven of our past, present, and future sins. However, if we ignore Scripture and we ignore what Jesus tells us to do in our lives, we're still in danger of judgment. Now, I don't want to get into the the once saved, always saved. We we believe that here in our church. But you're still in danger. We're not let off. We need to understand that. So here's the question. What do you do? (laughs) Right? All right? All of us are in danger of the fire of hell right now. We're all in trouble. What do we do? Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If you know that someone has been hurt by you, you need to go make it right. Right? Uh, You need to apologize and make it right with that other person. Right here, buddy. You need to to make it right with that other person. Now, here's the thing. Notice what he says. It is more important to God to take the money that you have saved up and leave it right where you are at. And go and talk to that person and make it right. Won't somebody steal it? Probably. Probably. God doesn't care about that. That's the money that you are going to give to God, give to the church, give to the temple. You'll make it right. But it's it's like $4,000. You'll make it right. God says, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the legalism. I care about the person. Now, here's the thing. We don't need to wait until the conditions are right because they never will be right. When we have some, when somebody has something against us, when we have hurt somebody, we don't need to wait. Oh, well, you know, all right, next month, or when I run into them next time, or all of that. There's never a right time to apologize because your pride doesn't want you to. Never will. Um, we don't have time to be consumed by pride. And that's what keeps us from admitting that we are wrong. That's what keeps us from saying, I'm sorry. The, the reason it doesn't feel comfortable is because you are admitting that you are not perfect. And for some reason, that's what we want people to think about us. I don't know. I mean, in our family, our church family here, we all know, and I'm you know, I guess me being the most public person... Y'all know I'm jacked up, and me knowing you guys, I know you're jacked up too. We're all big one messed up family. None of us think that we're really perfect, but for some reason, we still try to put that out there, right? I'm... I don't know what that was. I'm sorry, I'm perfect, and I'm not. And we need to apologize so much that we feel comfortable doing it. Now, I never do this, but I want you to do something with me. I want you to say this with me several times. I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? You ready? I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Say it again. I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Now, if you're married or uh, you're sitting next to a friend or, you know, family, you might want to turn and look that person in the eye. uh, And if something's been going on, you might want to mean it. You ready? Here we go. I'm I'm sorry. sorry. Will you please forgive me? I want us to hear this coming out of our mouths so that we know we can say it. And so that we know what it sounds like when we say it. This is something we should be saying daily, if not hourly. Especially in our marriages, right? I mean, our spouses should hear that phrase from us just as much as I love you. Whoa. Yeah, right? And if you don't hear either of those phrases, I've got to tell you, you're not in a good place in your marriage. But it's easy to turn around. You can easily say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? You can easily say "I love you." Now, I want to make something clear, guys, especially. You can't apologize just to try to end a conversation or backtrack on something true that was said. That might have been painful. Okay, I admit I'm the I'm the biggest uh, whatever of this, right? I do this a lot. Leave calls me out on it. Many times, many times we will try to back out of something that's true. When what really needs to happen is that that person needs to hear it, and even though it's tough, needs to deal with it and evaluate it and think about it. When we were first married, Lee would say something to me that was pretty harsh but true. I mean, y'all, y'all know Lee, and y'all think. Come into my living room, all right? It's it it is straight up truth, right? And so she will she would say something to me that's harsh and 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 but it's true, and I'd say that's not nice, and she'd say I'm not always nice. I'm serious, and uh, you don't want to you don't want to mess with her, right? What often happens? when something true but tough is said is that person goes crazy and will fly off the handle, especially if they have an anger problem, and you end up saying, I'm sorry, even though there's nothing to apologize for. Right? Well, it's the way you said it, or you did this or that. Okay, I'll try to say it better, but we do not need to apologize just because we live in a politically correct world. Our culture forces us to try to do this. And this happens also in marriages and families and relationships with people that we're closest to. So that's a little warning, especially for us guys. I think we deal with that a whole lot. Now, let me, let me ask this question. Why is it important that we apologize and reconcile a relationship? Why is it important that we admit our pride and ask for forgiveness? It's because we are to be the example of Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through nineteen. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through nineteen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what saying I'm sorry is. It is a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He did nothing to us. He did everything for us. We did everything to him. We were the murderers. We were the haters. But He still came and died for us. We are to be the example of Christ to others. The least we can do is own up to our mistakes. He didn't falsely apologize to make us happy. He didn't work around our sin situation. He came at our sin purposefully and directly. He is the one that we have hurt. And He is the one that has given us the way to be forgiven and healed. This is so important for us to know and understand. When you say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? You are bringing healing. You are bringing forgiveness. And you're laying that on the table. When we confess our (coughs) sins... He is faithful to us. He is right towards us. And He forgives us of those sins. Then when we continually give our lives to Him, and we spend time in prayer, and we spend time in Scripture, He's going to change us on the inside. He's going to change our pride. He's going to change our heart. We don't need New Year's resolutions. We need Jesus. And He's going to bring about the, the revolution in our hearts to where we desire reconciliation with those around us. And then we will be able to say all together once again. you ready? I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. You will you please, please forgive me? me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, a hard message. Because let's be honest, we don't want to do this. We We fight against this. We want to be right. We want to be perfect in the eyes of everybody else. But God, you you tell us that apologizing and genuinely being uh, sorry towards another person is not weakness. It's strength. You tell us and show us that it brings healing and it brings reparation and it brings a closer relationship. Father, we pray that you will Work in us and through us as we deal with this, including myself, Father. We have a lot to work on. And so, God, I ask that you will challenge us in our marriages, in our um, relationships with girlfriends or boyfriends, with friends, with family. Challenge us. Father, challenge us if we need to get on the phone today. And apologize for what may have happened over Christmas and New Year's. Father, work in our hearts. Change us and make be a 180 from what our current thinking is. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.